Genesis chapter 24. We'll begin reading verse 61 through 67. We're speaking on the subject of marriage, and tonight the theme is choose love. Genesis 24, verse 61. And Rebecca rose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well, Lahiroi, for he dwelt in the south country. That sounds like a good southern name, amen? <laughs> and Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. Some of these young men in our Bible college wished that the camels would show up. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she said to the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebecca. She became his wife. And look what it says. He loved her. Now, before we get into our text, I want you to think back, way back, to when you were a young person, you met the love of your life and fell madly, deeply in love. I want you to try to remember what that felt like. Life suddenly changed. You were emotionally a little different. People looked at you as silly. The person that couldn't even pass English class suddenly became a letter writer. <laughs> the one who hated Christmas suddenly became a gift giver. The one who looked serious now had a giggly personality. Life began to change, but you had fallen into love. And... You thought in your mind that's what was necessary to get married. So you said, wow, I have the feeling. I felt the pitter and the patter. And they came together. So I know the pitter patter means I am now a candidate to get married. And you thought the qualification was not finishing college. The qualification was not general IQ level. The qualification wasn't reading a book or having been instructed on Becoming a good wife or a good husband, the qualification was you had fallen in love. And then you talked to your mother or you talked to your father and they said, well, before you get married, I've got to ask you a very important question. It's really deep. Are you in love? Now, how would a 20-year-old know that? How would an 18-year-old or a 23-year-old know the definition of true love? Because in our hearts, in our minds, our definition is an emotional feeling, and that's what we ended up basing our marriage on. Now, let me ask you this. How long did it take for you to figure out that you had based your marriage on and your choice on an emotional feeling? For some, it only took two days, two months. For some, it took two years. You said, wow, 
I sure did that based on emotions. I'm not here to shake up your marriage. I'm not here to help you have a bad day or get you to get in the car tonight on the way home and get in a fight because you said amen at the wrong time. <laughs> but if we're honest with ourselves, this is the generation that was raised on TV and movies and our whole concept of love is a little skewed and because we watched all those scenes and what took place and there, there was just a connection. There was just, that's called biological arousal. And you called it love because that's what Hollywood calls it. So you thought this means we're destined to be together forever. Because when I saw her, it's funny all the qualifications young men put out. And, uh, you know, I want her to be pretty, number one. Number two, I hope she can play the piano, but she definitely needs to be pretty. <laughs> number three, preferably of high character and definitely very pretty. I don't know a person yet that went out and said, oh, God, give me someone ugly. Because <laughs> ugly doesn't make your heart pitter-patter. So you know what happened? You found someone that was physically attractive and easily deceived, and then you set about to trick them. And for the majority of you, it worked. Because women are easily deceived. Folks, you can get on board now, or this is really going to be a long night. Let's review quickly here. The bottom line is, it's not like we grew up, everyone, knowing Bible principle. And even if you knew it, there was something that overruled Bible principle called an emotional feeling. And that's why many Christians end up marrying some of the sons saved or not even right with God or outside of God's will. That's why even in churches today, divorce is around hovering around the national average about 50%. Because even in the church, we don't base our marriage or our choice on that book and the principles of that book, but rather on one question. Am I in love? And if I'm in love, this love will carry me through for the rest of my life. There's only one problem. What you're feeling is not love. What you're feeling is exactly that. A feeling. And that feeling won't last that feeling at some point will dissipate. About week number two, when you get up to go to work, she rolls over and her hair <laughs> is matted against the side of her face. Now, did you know that love is not even necessary for marriage? It's not a requirement to say, I do. Because we don't understand love, so here's what we're saying. I need to have that emotional feeling to get married. And I'm going to show you where that leads people down the wrong road and often leads them to adultery. Now, here's a Bible example, a Bible story, where Abram sends his servant out to find a bride for Isaac. 
He doesn't even take Isaac. He goes out, says this woman meets the qualifications. He brings her back. Rebecca says, I will, I'm willing. Now, men, fathers, I, I have young people in here with a panic look on their face. This is not something I suggest in 2013. I'm telling you about something that happened and was recorded in Scripture. Okay? But this young lady came back. These two were married, and then a choice was made. A choice to love the person that they had just married. This marriage worked much better then the marriages work today where two young people fall in love, feel the pitter-patter, and say, guess what? We're qualified to get married because we both have the same feeling towards each other. They said, we don't need a feeling. We have a fact. And the fact is, we're married. That means we get to love each other. We choose to love each other for the rest of our lives. And those of you that have been married for more than a few months or more than a few years, you know that at some point you have had to make a choice because that feeling that you had, that wonderful butterfly that lived in your chest for months, one day died. <laughs> Just kicked the bucket. It was a slow and painful death. But that beautiful little animal is not fluttered in months for some years. But it doesn't matter. Now I thank God for a good wife and I thank God for the wonderful feelings that we have toward each other. And I thank God for the marriage that we've enjoyed. A good marriage, a solid marriage, although not a perfect marriage. But I'm thankful that it has not just endured, not just survived, but thrived over the past 21 years because early in life there was a principle that was taught to both of us and that is this marriage is for life so you had better choose now to love each other. And each person in here, each couple, you've been faced with the same reality because that thought that you had when you first got married that that person was perfect was soon destroyed. You realized it was not a fact, it was a theory. And you were not the lucky person on the planet that found Mr. Perfect because Mr. Perfect doesn't exist. So you married an imperfect person and so did your mate. And once you got to know their imperfections, that list of imperfections began to grow. And you thought, not a problem, I can change that, I can change him, I can fix that. Give me some time. And ten years went by, and not only did you not change him for the better, time changed him for the worse. And as he began, before, you know, when you first got married, only half of his clothes would miss the laundry basket, and now he barely makes it past the door. There's not even an attempt. That free throw shot that he had so perfected with his dirty socks 
Now his arms are too tired. His muscles are too weak. The atrophy has so affected his body that he barely has the strength to remove his clothes and he just lets them fall where they may land. And that disturbs you. And at the tender age of 38, she no longer has the muscle mass to shut the kitchen cabinets. And six doors at a single time remain open. And you can't seem to fix that. And it bothers you. And you let her know it bothers you. You let her know regularly that bothers you. So what happened to that wonderful feeling that you based your marriage upon? It's gone. Because you based your marriage upon that feeling. And that feeling no longer exists. You're considering the thought. You're entertaining the idea. Well, if she can't make me happy, why stay in this relationship? And then one day you have this discussion about, well, we've made it this far under the same roof. I guess we can make it until the kids graduate. But as soon as they graduate, I am going to leave you. And she begins to cry because she knows you're lying. <laughs> she knows you may not keep your promise, and that's disturbing. No, there's... There's a point in a relationship where everyone reaches where there's a frustration with that person that you chose. And I know everyone in here has a pious face on tonight, and I, I know this is not applicable for anybody in this auditorium. I'm just preaching to the wind tonight. Right, maybe I'm preaching to these future young ladies that hope to get married and possibly might have this problem. So I guess I'll just preach to the first three rows. But everyone in here, I think if you're honest, you have to admit that at some point in your marriage, you reach a breaking point because you said, okay, that person that I married is not the same person I'm living with. Because that person was a good person. <laughs> Very kind and caring, and they loved me, and they treated me well, and they said these beautiful things, and they said I was beautiful. They actually said that. I remember. They said that. I haven't heard it for a long time, but I know they said it. I wish I would have recorded it. And they said I was a great person. They bought me gifts, and now I have to wait till Christmas. And even then, it's a cheap one. Now, in marriage, here's a big issue. The issue is this world has so affected our thinking, so permeated us, with the philosophy of society that we've begun to accept their definition of love and we've been convinced that love is a feeling and I once had that feeling so I once was in love. But now, that feeling's gone and that person I married took it from me. So pastor, how in the world are we going to survive the next 40 years if I don't have that feeling? The problem was that was your motivation and that's a problem. 
Let me say number two. Falling in love is a feeling, so your marriage was based upon an emotion or a feeling. Number two, now that you understand true love, you have to choose. You have to make a choice. Am I going to love this person or not? Am I going to learn to love as God commands me? Now, let me just say this, and I don't want to review what we said on Wednesday night. But do you remember the first command, Genesis 2.24? Just to refresh your memory, let's read it. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Now here's a key because at some point when you run out of love, you run out of that emotion, that's the moment to obey step number two. Principle number two, cleave. What do I do? I don't have that feeling. What do I do? I'm out of love. What do I do? I just don't love them like I did when I fell in love. Okay. Principle number two, cleave. Now let's cross-reference cleave. Go with me to 2 Samuel 23, 10. 2 Samuel 23, 10. While you are learning to love, you must determine to cleave. To your mate, that's your choice. 2 Samuel 23.10, speaking of Eleazar, a soldier, mighty man of David, fighting the Philistines. Verse 10, he wrote, he smote the Philistines until his hand was, what? What had happened to him? He was out there in the battle fighting alone. A large group of Philistine soldiers against one man, his hand was weary, and it did what? His hand clave unto the sword. So what do we see in our cross-reference? Number one, he was in the battle. Number two, he understood, this is my life. If I drop this sword, I'm dead. It's over. I'm done. Do you think he was tired? Absolutely. Weary? Absolutely. Ready to quit? Absolutely. But he understood, really, in this battle, I have one choice, to cleave. That's my salvation. And his hand, like glue, stuck, froze, locked in, locked down. His hand clave to the sword, and he walked away victorious. Now, you know what we have to do in marriage? You say, Pastor, I'm just out of love. Pastor, I, I just don't have the same feelings for him that I had when we first got married. I'm not an issue. While you're learning to love, cleave. Stick like glue. And listen, when you're in that spot and divorce crosses your mind, that's a good moment to become vindictive. How many have a vindictive side? Okay, now let me just suggest something to you. I would suggest at this moment to be vindictive. And here's the best way to be vindictive. If you're considering separating or getting a divorce, you want to make that as painful as possible. So in order to make that painful, I would say all the nice things possible so that person actually begins to like you. So when you do leave them, it actually hurts. Some of you didn't get that. I mean, if you're in a bad spot right now and you walk out, everyone's going to be happy. Why leave them happy? Be vindictive. So start to say sweet things, as many sweet things as you can think of. 
And then when they start to get reattached, you'll probably be reattached and you actually won't want to go through with that next step. Ah, good night. I'm not getting anywhere with this crowd tonight. So while you're trying to learn to love, Cleet, now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When we were in Korea this year, we went to the farm, goat farm, and Chris had built a hotel for Chinese tourists. I remember Daryl telling us a story how is they're about ready to send that young man in who was trained as a cook and that young lady who was also trained as a cook into that position and fill that spot, fill that need. The pastor had voiced his concern and said, this just doesn't look right. If we send in a young lady and a young man and they work together in the same environment, it's just going to leave a bad impression. It just looks questionable. He said, I think I have a solution. So he got the two of them together and he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take about 15 or 20 minutes. I want you two to sit down and see if you're compatible. And if you are, come back and talk to me. And about 30 minutes later, they came back and said, preacher, I think we're compatible. He said, look, you're both called to do the same thing. You both have the same desire. You're both close to the same age. You're a man. She's a woman. You guys thought about marriage? And they said, uh, yeah, it's fine with us. He said, let's go ahead and have a ceremony tomorrow night. And they did. And we met them three years later. Happy marriage and a child. Because they didn't fall in love. They chose love. Boy, that's such a foreign concept to the American mindset. Do some of you actually think you're concerned that your pastor is going to have this crazy notion of uh, okay, you marry you and you. No, no, that's not me. That's not my style. That's not the way I work. That, I'm not trying to play the matchmaker tonight. I'm trying to get those of you that are already married to understand marriage is not about falling in love because if you wait to fall in love, you may never fall back in love. You choose to love. 1 Corinthians 13. Look what it says. In verse 4, charity suffereth long. And let me just say this before we define love for just a minute. If you read verse 1, 2, and 3, Paul's point is this. It doesn't matter if someone can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. If he does not have love in his heart, if he does not function in love, he is like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. How many of you like that sound? And he said, if someone has the gift of prophecy and understand mysteries and have all knowledge, but he doesn't have charity, he is nothing. And he said, even though he's willing to give all of his goods to, to feed the poor and willing to give his body to be burned, if he doesn't have love, in the end, it profiteth nothing. Charity suffereth long. So let me ask you this. Let's examine what you have in your marriage right now. Okay? And let's see if it's true love. This is not something you fall into. This is something you choose and grow into. Do you suffer long? 
Yes, pastor, we've been married for 30 years, obviously, I have the gift. <laughs> Charity suffereth long and is kind. That's why God didn't just say suffereth long because you've managed to do that. You just didn't manage the second part. Suffering long with kindness. It's amazing how people tend to be kind outside of their house and at their place of work and to total strangers and to those in their church. But once they leave the church setting and the work setting and the world setting and they're in the car with their own wife or their own husband, kindness suddenly disappears. Did you pick that up? Did you grab the kids? Did you make that phone call? Did you even listen to me? It's okay. You never listen to me. I wish you wouldn't listen to me when I asked you if you'd marry me. That is conversation that takes place between two angry people that don't know love and based their marriage on a feeling and said, well, I fell in love. And I hope that carries through. It won't. One day, Samantha, one day, Gracie, some gentleman. can do that to your heart. And you're going to say, Mom, he is incredible. And your aunt's going to say, his crooked nose is incredible. <laughs> Got to love those teeth. It means one of two things. He's from Arkansas or Mississippi. <laughs> so what's incredible about him? He's a man. <laughs> that feeling that you call love now it's not going to last forever. So you better make sure you're headed the same direction, have the same goals, share the same convictions, principles, and doctrine. Because all the rest of that, at some point, is going to disappear. And love, choosing to love, means you will suffer long and be kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Oh boy. Have I ever seen this before? You talk to a couple. Someone is really mad. Someone is really puffed up. Someone's really perfect in their own mind. Well, if you just knew my mate, like I do. I've never ever had someone come in and say, Preach, you know what? I'm a scum bucket, trash ball, worthless. I don't know how that person puts up with me. It's a shame they have to. I wish to God I was a better person so they'd have an easier time. <laughs> I've never been lucky enough to deal with that person. Verse 5. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Now, how many people in this room could say, Preacher, that's me. That's me in the bounds of marriage. I just behave myself in a very seemly manner. 
Our tone is unseemly. Our words are unseemly. Our attitude. Just our facial expressions aren't seemly. We wouldn't talk that way to anyone else. Not in that tone. Not using that facial expression. Not with those words. That's love. Now, let me ask you this. Has anyone ever just fallen into this kind of behavior? No. This kind of behavior is a choice because love is a choice. Love does not seek, charity doesn't seek her own. Um, now, here's why I know you didn't base your marriage on love. Because when you got married and you said, I do, you were seeking your own. Everything in marriage, when that person says, I do, you know what they're saying? You fulfill me. You make me happy. You make me laugh. You're the one I chose because you're good to me and you say kind things to me and you, you really lift me up. You know what that is? That's why, obviously, our marriage wasn't based on love because love doesn't seek her own. Love is not easily provoked. Hold on for a second. Think, think about our behavior. Think about our marriages. Love, charity, is not easily provoked. Were you easily provoked this week? Think about the things that we get upset about. The food wasn't just right. She forgot that request. He didn't show up exactly when you expected him to show up. And you were just hanging around talking to the guys? You were, you were working with them all day and you got out at five and then you stayed around for 38 more minutes? Those guys that you see every day that you spend eight hours with, that's not enough time? So you decide to add to that time before you come home to your beautiful me? Just about that time, be careful, because her eyes are about ready to pop out of her head. What is wrong with you? Many things. My question is, why did you choose him? Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. Boy, we, we could really chase some rabbits tonight. <laughs> love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Verse 7, love beareth all things. Now, Pastor, there has to be a limit here. According to God, there isn't. What's it mean? We, we better delve deep into the Greek and figure out the real meaning of bearing all things. Okay, let me tell you what this means in the Greek. Love beareth all things. All means all. 
Beareth means to handle in a good manner. In this verse, a Christ-like fashion. All things. Now, what doesn't fall under the category of things? All things basically covers all ground. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Wait, it just gets worse. Endureth all things? What does it fall under that category? Charity never faileth? Now, folks, did you get that? How many of you truly understood that when you got married? Although the preacher probably your wedding read that text, you had no clue, no concept, because you were standing up there looking in that person's eyes, the love of your life, saying, you are so beautiful. We're going to have the first marriage that is perfect on the planet. Me and you, babe. I just performed at a ceremony a month ago. And right before we said the vows, those two took the candles. They lit the unity candle. They came back. They stood in their spots. And as soon as they stood in their spot, the fans were not blowing. There was no central AC, no wind in the entire auditorium. And the unity candle went out. And they both stopped smiling. And Reuben leaned into me and said, Preacher, is that a sign? And I lied to him. I said, no, don't worry about it. Boy, some of you are really tense tonight. It was a sign because that feeling is going to blow out and go out. Thank God the marriage isn't based on a feeling. It's based on a choice. And now that you understand true love, you have to choose. And here's the blessing. You're to follow Christ in his example in Ephesians 5.25 because we have this command that the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now let me ask you this. How many of you have ever seen a beautiful woman with an ugly fella, and you thought, okay, something strange here happened. That man must be very wealthy. And then you noticed her cane. And you said, uh-huh, uh-huh. I knew there was no way that you got her. You tricky, tricky man. You can smile because all of us as men married above ourselves. You know what we do? We begin to see flaws, things we don't like. We didn't see them before marriage, and now that we're married, we begin to see those, and Satan begins to highlight those things in our life. And they're really disturbing to us. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Our example is Jesus Christ with the church. Now I want you to imagine here's this great looking lady, highly intelligent and she marries this 632 pound bald, one eye, one arm 
one-eared, buck-tooth, backwood, hillbilly. And you would say, there's something really, really weird going on. Now let me ask you this. How strange is it that Jesus Christ picked us as unlovely as we are? Do you think Jesus just fell in love with us? Do you really think you're that desirable? Jesus said, I choose to love you. And then not only do I do that, but now speaking of marriage, I'm telling you to follow my example. There is no way that that person you married is, is as lovely as you think because you chose them convinced they were the loveliest on the planet. And Christ said, I didn't fall in love. There wasn't any defect that I didn't see. There wasn't anything I didn't already know. But knowing you as you were, I love you as you are because I choose to love. Now you go love your wife the same way. Well, that's a pretty tough command to obey. Let me say this and we're done. Number three, wanting to be in love again is actually very dangerous. And here's what I've heard preached and even the couples retreats and conferences and messages on the home, I've heard people say, well, you need to fall back in love. No, you don't. You need to choose to love. Because biblical love is a choice. Well, you need to fall back. No, you choose to love, and guess what? Those emotions will come, but that's not what we're basing our future on or our marriage on. I'm not hoping to fall back in love so I can make it another 20 years with my wife. I've already chosen to love her, so no matter how good or how bad things are, nothing changes. We've had a lot of great days, and we've had a few bad days, but you know, there was no difference between the good day and the bad day as far as the mentality because I already said we're going to get through this bad day and make it to a good day because we've chosen to love each other. So wanting to be in love is actually extremely dangerous, and it often leads to adultery. How many understand that? When do people get themselves in trouble? People think that that emotion is love. So as couples begin to stray, as couples begin to fight, as couples begin to dislike each other and there's problems in the marriage and they're just beginning to coexist because they base their first marriage on a feeling because they said, well, we fell in love and now that emotion, that feeling no longer exists. Suddenly, here's what Satan does. He puts someone in your path or in her path who's attractive and you connect with and be careful be careful, because I know teenagers say, well, you know, that feeling is once in a lifetime. It'll only happen once. I have talked to couple after couple after couple. That's not a once in a lifetime feeling. Satan will send someone across your path that you connect with, and you will feel the same way about that person as you felt about your wife or your husband 20 years ago. And suddenly, someone you just met or someone you work with makes you pitter-patter, and because you based your marriage on that feeling, 
You said, wow. It's weird. The feeling's back. The feeling is called biological arousal. Guess what? I need you to look right up here before we close. I need everyone's attention. Very likely, when your marriage is a low point, Satan will make sure to send someone your way that connects in a very special way with you. And you're going to feel strange and say, how is it? Because I thought that only happened once. No. Feelings happen all the time. Marriage happens once. And I, I already made a choice. And it's a good choice. So guess what? If I ever have that pitter-patter, it has no bearing on my life, no bearing on my future. It will not invade my marriage. I will not allow it into my thoughts. Now, some of you better watch out because you don't have a personality. I have a very methodical personality. So I just believe in numbers. I believe in methods. And I, that's just the way I am. So it's easier for me to shut that out than it is for some of you because some of you aren't a numbers person. You're not methodical. You're not structured. You're not organized. So a lot of your life is based on emotion. You better be careful because your own personality is going to fight against you because you enjoy emotions. You enjoy the emotion of a birthday party. You enjoy the emotion of a beautiful day. You enjoy the emotion of someone flattering you. You enjoy those emotions and those feelings. If that is your personality, you better be careful because Satan will use your personality against you and because you want set your entire future on that feeling and said, I'm in love. I just fell in love. This is the person for me. You didn't realize that is actually a repeatable experience and a repeatable feeling and should not be the basis for your marriage. Let me just say this, young people. Falling in love is not a reason to get married because there's been a lot of people falling in love with the wrong person. Here's Rebecca. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she said to the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? She comes off of her camel, and she takes a look. She said, Who's that man? Uh, that's your husband to be. I don't know him. But boy, I made a choice. I'm going to love that man. And Isaac said, Dad, is that the woman? Yes. Okay. Let's have this ceremony. Rebecca, I do promise to love you until death do us part for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. How in the world can that man say that having just met that lady? Because that's biblical love. And love is a choice, not an emotion, not a feeling. And that's why so many homes are falling apart because it's the wrong foundation. That foundation was you made my heart pitter patter. Now we're going to find out if you're a big enough person to actually choose love. Are you mature enough to get a hold of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I need your help because I'm married and I want to have a good marriage. And I chose this person. Now my next choice has to be love. 
And I will choose to love this person for the rest of my life. I'll love her on Monday, love her on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'll love her next week and next month. I'll love her next year. I'll love her when she's angry. I'll love her when she's happy. I'll love her when she's sick. I'll love her when she burns the food, when she cooks a great meal. I'll love her when she's late and making me late. And I'll even love her more when she's in the car early. And I'll love her when the house is dirty. But it'll sure be easier to love when the house is clean. But I'll love her. And I'll love that man if he shows up at 5.30 or 8.30. I'll love him if he works 40 hours or 60 hours, if he makes 50000 or 85000 It doesn't really matter. I'll love him not because he's lovable, but because I chose to love him. I'll love him when that hair falls off the top of his head and starts growing out the sides of his ears. <laughs> Love him when he's wrinkled and crinkled because I've made a choice and my choice is to love.